Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Micah chapter 3. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh torn off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. This ends the word of the Lord. Why does the thought of Vladimir Putin experiencing little to no consequences for the invasion of Ukraine trouble us? or Bashar al-Assad getting away with murder in Syria, or Kim Jong-un starving his people in North Korea. I could go on, right? But mentioned Maduro. How do you feel when an officer of the law or a criminal judge is charged with bribery? Or pastors who preach a false gospel, rake in millions, and buy private jets. There's something deep within us, friends, that cries out, that's not right. That's not right. Injustice of any sort is always wrong, but but there is something especially unsettling when a civil or a spiritual leader practices injustice. Why? Because they have a heightened responsibility. 
They have a greater impact on the people around them. If they are hating what is good and loving what is evil, we don't want them to get away with that. And the Bible actually has a lot to say. Maybe you didn't realize this. A lot to say to corrupt leaders. But it doesn't start where the world starts with questioning authority. Know that. It starts by affirming authority because authority is a good thing in God's eyes. We have to start there. He he gives rulers authority to lead nations. He gives pastors authority to lead churches. The list goes on. Our our fundamental attitude, our starting place toward, toward those who occupy positions of power or influence as the people of God should never start with skepticism or mistrust. Listen, scripture is is also clear that leaders are not superior to followers, no matter how many college application questions suggest as much. They're sinners who need a savior. And I say that as a leader. Honor your leaders, yes, but Kingsway, do not put them on a pedestal. Not in this church or outside the church. And when godless authorities outside the church, spurn justice and delight in wickedness, God will not fail to hold them accountable. And when godless authorities in the church spurn justice and delight in wickedness, God will not fail to hold them accountable. Luke twelve forty eight. what does Jesus say? To whom much was given, of him much will be required. That, that's both a call for repentance if you've used your leadership role to promote injustice and a tremendous source of hope for all of us who have languished under the oppression of a corrupt leader. If you've been with us for our series in Micah, you may remember that in Micah 1, the Lord pointedly called out the entire nation of Israel for her collective idolatry. In Micah 2, he details the specific kinds of social injustice that plagued the nation as a result. And here in Micah 3, Yahweh turns his attention particularly to the leaders, the corrupt civil and religious authorities who made chapter 2 possible. Through through their own practice of injustice, this is what chapter 3 is all about, that the very people that should have been a safety net for the nation, protecting the people from the greedy land barons in chapter 2. They joined them in the same sort of oppression. And so the Lord's word to these leaders is both a word of comfort and a word of warning to us, friends. Because when when it seems like people who should be most concerned about practicing justice do the exact opposite, or when it feels like you could get away with using the position or authority God has given you to line your own pockets, remember this. This is the main point of the entire chapter. God will call every corrupt leader to account. Every one of them. Upholding the justice they failed to provide. It's the Lord's promise. God will call every corrupt leader to account, upholding the justice that sinful men fail to provide. How how will he do that? Well, Micah tells us, and he gives us three examples. Point number one, 
Case study one, those who abuse God's people will be deprived of his help. Verses one to four. And in verse one, the prophet opens this second section of the book. Remember, it's alternating cycles of judgment and mercy by summoning heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, civil and judicial authorities. What's he say to them? Is it not for you to know justice, he asked? Now remember, because that's a loaded word in our culture, how does scripture define justice? It always begins, as Micah does in chapter one, with the justice of God. Because he's holy, God is what? The moral standard in the universe. And because God is just, he what? He requires his creatures to conform to his moral standard. That's what justice is. Doing justice means hating what God says is evil and loving what God says is good. It means relating to all people, especially the weak and the vulnerable, in a way that's consistent with their identity as image bearers of God. And in Israel, you had a combination of elders and judges and kings who were responsible for upholding justice in the public square. It was their job, as Ralph Davis observes, to make and enforce equitable legal decisions in line with God's covenant law. But in Micah 3, what are they doing? It's the exact opposite of that. They're they're creating a culture through their own example where where wickedness thrives. Look at verse 2. You hate the good and love the evil. So, so the very people who, who should have been protecting Israel from injustice are actually using their office to perpetuate injustice. And in verses 2 and 3, Micah rebukes them with a gruesome image. This isn't G-rated. It's designed to get their attention. He, he accuses them of cannibalism. Through government-sanctioned injustice, these men were literally devouring their countrymen. The people of God tearing their skin, eating their flesh, breaking their bones, they're chopping them up like meat in a soup pot. It's it's a picture of, of rampant selfishness and greed. In in contemporary parlance, think of turning a blind eye to predatory lending. Or, or supporting sex trafficking, or, or jailing political dissidents on false charges, or stealing from customers and clients. Okay, they, they have no use for God here, or, or any interest in what God says is right. That is, until they get in a bind. Until they, they realize, oh no, suffering's coming our way. Now we need God to fix our problems. Look at verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, Micah says. But what happens when they do? He will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time. Why, friends? Because the king of heaven will not be treated as a magic charm. Yahweh is not a rabbit foot. They want to do life their way. And have God bail them out when they get in trouble. And Micah says, the Lord says to all of us this morning, 
you can't have it both ways. <laughs> that the salvation of the Lord and all the spiritual and physical blessings that come with that are reserved for those who call upon him in truth. With sincerity and Humility and integrity of heart, the only kind of prayer God answers is a prayer fueled by genuine faith. A a prayer that issues from a life of wholehearted submission to God's authority. That that is not the kind of life these rulers in Israel wanted to live. Look at verse 4 again. What have they done? They have made their deeds evil. They're knowingly, deliberately, intentionally practicing injustice. They're not crying out in godly sorrow. They're they're not interested in repentance. They just want God to make their life easy again. So when they pray, God doesn't respond. It's, It's not a case, hear this, of Christians struggling with unanswered prayer, like the Psalms, okay? It's the just fulfillment of Proverbs twenty-one thirteen: Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. John Calvin says it this way, thus Micah confronts us with the greatest evil that could ever befall us. Think about that. What is the greatest evil that could ever befall someone? That is that God rejects those who reject him. And that God refuses to answer them so that all their prayers are in vain and they are no longer received by God. That's a terrifying consequence. And the most frightening part about it is that it's real. It's not make-believe that those who abuse God's people knowingly, deliberately, unrepentant, unrepentant, will what? Will be deprived of his help. Not, Not only in this life, but also in the life to come. They will cry to God and receive no answer. No relief, no deliverance, because by spurning their fellow man, they've spurned their maker. The Lord will hold them accountable. Point number two, those who misuse God's word, second example of his accountability, those who misuse God's word will be deprived of his revelation, verses five through eight, the middle section. Look at at verse five. In verse 5, Micah, he turns from from warning civil authorities to warning religious authorities. Okay, namely the prophets. But what's up with the prophets? Well, it was their responsibility under the old covenant to, to deliver God's word to God's people, to speak on God's behalf. So so how did a prophet, think about it, practice justice? How does a prophet practice justice? By by speaking the exact words the Lord gave him to speak, regardless of how the audience is treating him or relating to him, whether they like him or not. Faithfulness in saying what God told him to say, 
Nothing more, nothing less is what enabled the word of God to serve as a lamp to the nation's feet and a light to their path. And in Micah's day, most of the prophets are doing the exact opposite. And and they're leading the people astray as a result. They they cry, look at verse 5, they cry peace when they have something to eat. But declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouth. They're prosperity preachers who promise divine blessing to those who give to their ministry. They're not speaking to represent God. They they say whatever they need to say in order to make other people treat them the way they want to be treated. Sadly, we, we can follow their example. Even in the church, we too can use spiritual language to, to manipulate people into satisfying our desires. Examples. Have, have you ever, those of you who are married, have you, have you ever verbally condemned or, or withheld words of encouragement from your spouse to pressure them into fulfilling your sexual desires. 1 Corinthians 7.3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband is not a license for selfishness, brothers and sisters. It's a call to Christ-like love. How about, how about parents who, who give their children no room to, to respectfully ask mom or dad to reconsider a decision. Emphasis on respectfully, okay? Pa- parents who shut down their kids' respectful questions with Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Stop talking, obey. Not because they're jealous for God's honor, but because they're lazy and don't want to be bothered with questions. <laughs> the... the Here's the point. The prophets weaponized God's word for personal gain. They they took a God-given gift, the the ability to receive revelation for the rest of the nation, and they used that to line their pockets. And and the Lord responds with a judgment fitting to the crime. Look at verse 6. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. Verse 7, they shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. He will hold them accountable by doing what? By taking away the prophetic gift, the very prophetic gift that they used to serve themselves instead of serving the Lord. Listen very carefully to me on this point, friends. Word of application, the appearance of a spiritual gift like prophecy or or teaching in someone's life is no guarantee of godliness or a sign that what they are saying or telling you to do is actually true. Don't assume that, that the leaders in verses five through seven are false prophets And Micah says they'll not only be deprived of God's revelation, they'll be deprived of God's salvation, that the darkness and shame awaiting them is complete and total. And on the day that that Christ returns, 
to, to judge the living and the dead, all lying lips will be silenced, friends. All lying lips. And until that day, listen, we must take great care to avoid misusing God's word or lending our ears to those who do. So I'll give you a practical suggestion. If a self-proclaimed prophet or teacher is always talking about how financial gain is the key to getting God's blessing, they are preaching a false gospel. Know that. But, but the Lord does a lot more here, verse 8, than hold false prophets accountable for misusing God's word. He, he empowers true prophets, praise be to God, to speak his word with boldness and authority. But as for me, Micah says, verse 8, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So so in contrast to the false prophets who, who lose their ability to hear from God, what happens to Micah? He's filled with the spirit of God. Because it's the spirit who imparts God's word. It's the spirit who enables us to obey God's word. And the spirit did both of those things for Micah. To hear God's word, to obey God's word. And that's why justice characterized his ministry. He acted as a man of character. He he spoke and related to his countrymen in in keeping with God's law, with God's moral standard. He, He didn't used his spiritual gift for selfish gain. He told Israel where she had wandered away from God. But be careful, because the second part of verse 8 is not a carte blanche license to build a call-out culture where we just love correcting people left and right. Oh, I'm going to tell some people about their transgression. I'm going to post all about their sin. <laughs> you know, no, 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 friends. Mike, Mike is not giving hot takes or going off on things or, or ranting online or saying it like it is. He's speaking God's word with boldness, courage, with tears in his eyes to give the gift of conviction to God's people. You realize when Jesus came hundreds of years later, that's exactly what he said the spirit would come to do. John 16, verse 8, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What's Jesus saying? That that one of the defining works of the Holy Spirit, and by the way, one of the defining marks of biblical preaching is the conviction of sin. And that that's actually a good thing. (laughs) Why? Why? Because it reveals our need for a savior. Until you see your need for a savior, you will never trust or love Jesus as your savior. Do you you think of correction that way? Whether you're young or old, do you think of it as a gift? A spirit-born, word-centered, heart-rescuing gift? Or do you think of correction as conviction, as a curse? A bad thing. Oh no, I, I feel a conviction, I feel a correction, come on, I, I'm out of here. <laughs> M- 
Micah's ministry of correction was a precious gift to Israel. Precious gift. Let let me give you an example. Nearly 100 years later, fast forward from Micah's time, a a group of wicked priests and false prophets are about to kill a man named Jeremiah for prophesying the downfall of Jerusalem. Translation, we don't like your message, so we're taking out the messenger. (laughs) That's That was kind of their approach. But some of the elders stood up in Jeremiah's defense and they spoke this to the assembled community. Listen, Jeremiah 26, 18. Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. What is that? That's the last verse of Micah 3, verse 12. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, they say, and all Judah put him to death back then? Did did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we, speaking of what they're about to do to Jeremiah, we, if you go forward with this, are about to bring disaster upon ourselves. Not only is that a wonderful picture of how Books like Micah but quickly became part of the canon. It's also a reminder that, that the judgment Micah pronounces in this chapter, it isn't just information revealing what God is about to do in the future. It has a moral claim, a present moral divinely intended effect. It's designed to warn Israel False prophets included, so they will what? Repent and turn to the Lord. That's what Jeremiah, with this story a hundred years later, experienced. Verse 12, Micah 3, and Hezekiah's time had its divinely intended effect. Repentance. And, and God's word is designed to do the exact same thing in our hearts today, friends. Exact same thing. Yes, chapters like this are serious. Yes, chapters like this can can leave you just emotionally feeling, wow, that was heavy. It is. (laughs) But you realize correction, warning, it's ultimately an expression of God's grace. Because it's, it's how the Lord turns us away from the path of death and toward the path of life. Warnings and promises. Warnings pull us away from death. Promises push us toward life. You approach the Christian life and look for a church or a pastor that gives you nothing but promises, you are leaving out half the word of God. We need warnings and promises. They get our attention. They compel us to stop going our own way. They remind us we'll all be held accountable. Here's the third example of God holding corrupt leaders accountable. The last section of this chapter, verses 9 to 12, those who assume God's favor will be deprived of his presence. Assume God's favor will be deprived of his his presence. What's going on here? Well, Micah returns in verse nine to address, look there, the people he started with, the heads and rulers of Israel. And he's rebuking both their, their heart attitude. What's that? You guys detest justice. You detest justice. And the outward actions that ensued as a result. What are they doing? Because in their heart, they detested justice. Again, it's not accidental sin. It's intentional sin. 
that they're making crooked all that is straight. They're, they're even taking places in Israelite society or legal system or law that were still somewhat righteous, somewhat just, and they're finding those things and they're turning them toward injustice as best they can. Instead of building Zion or strengthening the people of God with justice, they're building the city, verse 10, with blood and iniquity. And all three groups of Israelites listed in verse 11, all three kinds of leaders are in on it. Mike is very deliberate with that. Prophets, priests, and kings. So the the heads, the men responsible for governing according to God's word, what are they doing? They're giving judgment for a bribe. The the priest, men responsible for educating God's people with God's word, what are they doing? Teaching for a price. And and the prophets, those responsible for, for receiving or discerning God's word and delivering it, they're practicing divination for money. Everyone has been corrupted by greed. Every kind of leader. They've stopped serving the Lord. They're they're hirelings who love mammon. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 warns us, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. We we need to think about this. In our culture especially. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. You do realize you can love money even if you have none of it. Right? You can love money even if you think everybody else but you is rich. Because it's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of your bank account. And you don't have to be guilty of taking bribes to to succumb to the same sort of temptation these guys were in in Micah 3. There are a multitude of ways in the business world, friends, to treat people unjustly in order to amass wealth for yourself. Examples, okay? You can buy or sell faulty products that don't serve people or encourage people to buy something that you know they don't really need. You you can cheat on your timesheet. You can overcharge clients or underpay your workers. And the list goes on. But here's the real danger, okay? We can do all of those things. They were doing all these things while assuming they were good with God. See that? Look at the second part of verse 11. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Look at the temple over there. God's here. We've got, we've got God in our backyard. I mean, he's, he's practically in my back pocket. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I got, I got baptized as a kid. I can show you the certificate. What, what, what are all these leaders doing? 
They are presuming on the mercy of God, on the gift of his presence and favor. They, they, they can give a fine spiritual talk. Their, their prayers sounded so good. They, they knew all the Bible verses, but the pattern of their life completely undermined the profession of their faith. Their, their professed dependence on the Lord was just a sham. And they, and they were living with a false assurance of salvation. And so friend, because I love you and the Lord loves you, if you are not walking in obedience to King Jesus, if, if you are not fighting to love him, serve him, honor him, condemnation, not salvation, is waiting for you on the day you die. For that is what you deserve. Your, your conduct reveals you're not God's son. You're not God's daughter. You're a rebel and you need to repent. You need to repent. You, you need to come home to your father. Not tomorrow. Today. Right now. So you can be forgiven and cleansed and restored and adopted as his precious child through the, the life-transforming, heart-changing work of the Spirit of God that unites us to Christ so we can exchange our rags for his riches. Don't be like the leaders of Israel who by and large refused to do that. Because the Lord promised, look at verse 12, that their sin would be Jerusalem's undoing. The leader's sin. And in 586 BC, it, it was. The Babylonians sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And, and that little phrase in verse 12, because of you, because of you, leaders, that, that, that points to the tremendous influence leaders have. Whether for good or for evil. And, and in this case, because of the impact they had on the rest of the nation, that the prophets, priests, and kings of Israel became her undoing. The city and the temple were completely destroyed. What's the point? That, that those who assume God's favor will be deprived of God's presence, both now and then. Don't follow their example, friend. There's a warning here, okay? Don't assume it's well with your soul if you're not living in submission to God's word. Fear the Lord, my friend. Heed the warning. Ask Jesus to give you a new heart and a new spirit that delights to walk in his ways. Not so you can earn his favor, but because it is how we gratefully respond and express our saving faith in Jesus Christ. To linger in this chapter really is to meditate on the wickedness of men. It's not an easy place to camp out. It, it, it opens our eyes. I hope you felt this this morning to, to how bad corrupt human leaders can be. But I also want you to remember this. Scripture never leaves us there. Okay? It, it directs our attention by way of contrast 
to how good and great and glorious Jesus is. Okay? Listen, there are hints in this chapter of what the rest of the biblical canon shouts. That Jesus is and will be what? The faithful prophet, the righteous priest, and the just king the leaders of Israel failed to be. Therein lies your hope, friend. Where men fail, God does not. Put that on a bulletin board somewhere where you can see that every morning you get up. Where men fail, God does not. We need that. Because King Jesus loves what is good. He hates what is evil. He doesn't devour us for selfish gain. He nurtures our faith. He protects the weak with the arm of his might. He never manipulates us with his word. He speaks truth to us to what? Turn our wayward hearts back to him. Praise God. Jesus never says, if you're willing to pay up, I'll be with you and help you. He never says that. What does he do? He freely grants the gift of his presence to all who cry out to him for deliverance from sin and death and Satan. And then what does he do? He takes up residence within us so that we can say for all eternity, for real, the Lord is in the midst of us. Therefore, no disaster will ever come upon us. This is not just an indictment of what evil leaders do. This is by way of contrast, a marvelous foil for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so on the days you look at leaders in this world or in the church and you think, Father, it just seems like they're getting away with murder. I want you to remember this. Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne. Do you see a great white throne right now? I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. According to what they had done. Kingsway, King Jesus will call every corrupt leader to account. Upholding the justice they fail to provide. That therein lies both our warning and therein lies our hope. May, may we respond as a people humbly to both of those things. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are what corrupt, wicked men are not. I pray, Lord, wherever my friends in this room, Christian or non-Christian, have been reminded through these images in Micah of just how evil 
leaders can be. That in this moment, Lord, as we remember afresh the brokenness of this world, that you would turn our eyes to just how beautiful you are. We don't want to be a people that see the depth of sin and say, that's awful, and then stop there. We want to be a people that see that. Thank you for the the reality of your word. You don't hide your eyes to injustice, God. Thank you. But having seen that, we then want to turn with humble fear and awe and marvel at your beauty. Help us to do that, I pray, even as we sing now. In Jesus' name, amen.